Well, good morning. It is great to have you here. Um, if you were joining us online, thanks for joining us there as well. Uh, last week, I mentioned several times during the message that, that God had a very specific message that he wanted to communicate with each and every one of us, that there was no accident that you were here. Uh, and I specified that quite a bit last week. This week is the exact opposite. Um, it is completely by chance that you're here. <laughs> Not true at all. Um, what I'm amazed by every single week is how God somehow begins to lay things on my heart and begins to give me things to say that, that are truly from Him. Ultimately, because I hear different people say, man, that was exactly what I needed to hear. And my guess is that this morning, uh, for some of you, as we dive into this giant that we're going to talk about of finances, you're going to think, oh, I don't think I wanted to be here this morning. Um, but I'm thrilled that you've decided to be here. And if you've already got finances figured out, um, then I would just encourage you to pray for the rest of us in the room as we, uh, as we work through this. But this morning, we are in our second, our second message of this series called Conquering Giants. Um, last week in your program, we provided a little postcard. They're out at the kiosk now. But it basically gives you the topics for each of the weeks as we go through this. So you can kind of think, oh, okay, um, I want to skip that one, or I should be there, or I have a friend, or whatever. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the giant of career. And then on the 12th, we're going to talk about temptation. And then on May the 26th, when we wrap it all up, we're going to talk about the giant of failure. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about this series is that on the very last week, uh, I've invited a guest speaker to be here with us. And so I'm looking forward to that. He will be joining us um, all the way um, from the keyboards. Uh, David is going to be preaching on that last week. And last summer, David preached while I was out of town. Uh, and I told him, the next time that you preach, I'm going to be here because I want to I support you. I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, and so in a couple of weeks, I'm looking forward to hearing David. So I hope you'll be here for that on the 26th. So this morning, we're focusing on the idea of the giant of finances. And, and I just want to take a little bit of an informal poll. Um, you're going to have to have some courage here. Um, and this is kind of over your lifetime, okay? Not just like this last week. But if you would say at any point in your life you have ever worried about finances, raise your hand. Have you ever worried about finances? Okay? I don't know if you looked around. That was pretty much all of us. Uh, I think there was one teenager that did not. Um, <laughs> Good job, mom and dad. A lot of security there. Um, if you have ever lost sleep, if you've ever lost sleep thinking about bills or payments or things that you owe, if you've ever lost sleep, raise your hand. Okay, not quite as many, but all right. All right, if your day was ever ruined when you opened up a past due notice or a late fee or your interest rate mortgage might be going up or you just received the total cost for braces, um, Raise your hand if your day has ever been ruined by any of those things. Two kids in my home with braces. Whew. Um, now, maybe you're surprised by this, maybe you're not, but, but the Bible actually has lots and lots and lots to say about finances. And not just like, give us your money finances. It's like over and over and over throughout the Bible, we see some very practical wisdom for finances. But one of the reasons that so many of us struggle and have financial problems is that we've just tended to ignore what the Bible says about finances. And as, an exam or as, a, as a result, there's some great stress that has been created. In fact, the Wall Street Journal recently reported that 7 out of 10 Americans are suffering from debt. My guess is that some people lied. It might be higher than that. The average American has credit card debt of $17,000. Just credit cards. 
If you are above average there, life is not going, you're like, oh man, I did not want to excel at this one. So we've got credit card debt, we've got debt, then you've got the cost of gas and food and utilities continually on the rise. The average student debt when they get out of school just seems to be climbing every year. And all of this just compounds into, into a lot of financial stress, into a lot of problems in life. I mean, some of the results are devastating. 54% of marriages are saying that divorce happened in their home around arguments over money. Are we saving enough? Are we planning enough? What are we doing with our finances? Are we spending it? Are we saving? What are we doing with our finances? And it's tending to cause a lot of issues in marriage. Recently, another study found that 17% of people say they are satisfied with their financial situation. So let's do some math. 17% are satisfied. That means 83% of people would say that they are dissatisfied with the condition of their financial situation. So when we put all of that together, the picture about our finances is pretty bleak. So when we say that there's this giant of finances that we're dealing with, I think it's a reality that we have to acknowledge. And what I want each of us to know this morning is that it doesn't have to be true about any of us. None of our marriages need to end in divorce about money. We don't have to do it. We, there, there's a better way. You do not have to constantly lose sleep over your finances. None of us have to live with the uncertainty of our future. I want you to know that there is a better way. God has established some principles that we can find throughout the Bible that if we're willing to adopt them and if we're willing to make them a part of who we are, if we're willing to make them a part of the way that we live, it will transform our lives, not just financially, but in every area. It will flow into that. Now here's the great news about God. He does not require you and I to follow him on this thing. He's like, you, I'll give you some principles and it'll help your life. You get to choose. You and I get to choose. We get to say, you know what? I think I'll figure this one out on my own. And most of us, when we've tried to figure it out on our own, we've discovered we're not that good at it. I've even talked with people that are like, they do accounting for a job. Like, that's what they do for a living. And then their accounting at home is a mess. So this morning, what I'm going to challenge you to do is going to take some courage. It's going to take some humility because what we have to admit is that we need help. We have to admit that we need some new strategies. If we're going to attack this giant of finances, it means acknowledging that something that was written thousands of years ago by a guy who actually had plenty of money discovered something that all of us ultimately needed. It's on the screen and it's in your message notes. This is what David wrote. He said, simply said this, Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. And he is talking about everything in life, including finances. This is the amazing truth. You and I don't have to be miserable. You and I do not have to be stressed out about money. There is a plan and there is a strategy that works Every single time. And it doesn't matter how much money you make. And it doesn't matter what type of job 
you're able to get. God wants to lead us to a road that will transform us and change how we put our money to work in our lives and ultimately will transform all of who we are. A way that will introduce us to a peace that sometimes seems absolutely impossible. So this morning, here's what I want to give you. I want to give you five biblical principles that will allow us to conquer the giant of finances. Again, these principles, we can find them throughout God's Word. They, they show up again and again. I'm going to give you some verses along the way. But as we look into these things, there's a couple of uh, observations I want you to make sure we understand going into this. A couple things about these principles. The first thing you need to know about these principles is God is not promising us we will be rich. Okay? God is not saying you're going to be rich. These ideas, though, are designed to make you financially, they, they will help you, they can help you become financially wealthy. That's not the goal. The goal isn't that you, have, you and I have lots of wealth and we have lots of riches. The goal is that God has established for us is that you and I would be financially stable and emotionally rich. And if you and I will follow God's plan for life, for finances, our stress will go down and our faith will go up. But unfortunately, so many people are living right on the edge financially. And we're living on the edge financially no matter how much money we're making or how little money we're making. And if you've ever lived on the edge financially, it doesn't matter how much you're making, it's a scary place to live and it doesn't have to be the reality. And if we'll choose God's financial principles... There's a plan that's possible that some of you today can go home and begin pursue, proceed, or moving towards a place that finds new freedom. Where you can begin to live out these principles in your life and discover a whole new way. So five principles. Here's the first principle. First principle is keep track. This is the biblical principle of accounting. Basically, this means when you spend, write it down. Start a spreadsheet. Have a lot of post-it notes. Doesn't matter how you do it. Just start tracking it. If you've ever thought in your life, I just don't know where it all goes. That's a warning light. Like if you've ever thought, I, I don't know where it went. That is a light shining in the darkness saying, the giant of finances is about to eat your lunch and then step over you and keep marching. Have you heard the saying that money talks? It's not true. It just sneaks away quietly at night <laughs> and doesn't even say goodbye. Right? It's just gone. Like, how did that happen? The Bible explained it thousands of years ago this way. It said this, Riches can disappear fast. So watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. If you've ever bounced a check, you are not surprised that you can read Riches Disappear Fast. I was good at bouncing checks in college. Really good. I didn't realize balancing a checkbook mattered, you know? It was just like, keep writing them. They keep taking them. But the answer to not having your money disappear Quickly is to watch your interests closely. Now, my guess is that all of us have this last portion figured out. Right? I mean, I personally, I can tell you where all of my flocks are and herds are located right now. I know where all of them are at. Anybody got a doubt where their flocks or herds are? Right? But clearly, the Bible is an ancient text 
with timeless principles. When the book of Proverbs was written, most people, their finances were all wrapped up in agriculture, in, in, in the land that they owned, or the sheep that they owned, or the goats that they owned. I mean, that was currency, right? That's how you exchange. It was like, I'll give you a goat, you give me whatever. I mean, like, so God says, know the state of your flocks and herds. If God were writing that today, he would say something like, know the state of your stocks and deferred payments. I looked a long time for a word that rhymes with herds, and there's not a lot, so we went with deferred payments. So four things, four things that you should track, four basic things that you and I should track if we're going to keep track, if we're going to follow this biblical principle of counting. They're not in your notes, so I hopefully there's a little side space or right on your hand or your neighbor's face. I don't know. Anyway, start tracking. First thing to track is track every dollar that you spend. Just track every dollar that you spend. If you spend it, write it down. Put it down. You don't even have to make a decision about it. Just write it down. Just knowing what you're spending on can change some of your habits. My family, when we first started doing this, when we started writing down everything that we spent, we found out right away we were spending way too much on eating out and my shoes. And we're like, one of these has to change. So we cook at home a lot more now. We're like, we can make some adjustments, but not too far. So track what you spend. And actually, I just found some places that sell cheaper shoes. Okay, uh, so we got to track what we spend. The next thing we need to figure out is how much do you owe? How much do you owe? Like, what are the debts that are attached to your name? Like, like what are people coming after you for? What's your mortgage? School loans, car loans, credit cards, timeshares. Like, figure it all out. What are all of the liabilities that you're responsible for? Know the state of your herds. And then after you figure all that out, figure out how much do you earn? Like, what do you make in a month? Do you have any other areas of income? You got rent, somebody's paying you something for something. If you're married, combine it. How much do you make? Know how much you're making so you know how much you're managing. So you can start to compare some things in terms of the spending and the making. And then the last idea is begin to understand how much you own. Like, begin to figure out, like, what are the value of the things that you possess? What's your home worth? What are your cars worth? What are, the, what are your accounts? How much do you have in that gold mine? Livestock, like if you've got those things, like what do you got? When you and I just begin to keep track, when we begin to write it down, it just begins to give us a picture of where we're at. We begin to understand what it is that we're actually dealing with. And here's the reality. If you're going to start keeping track, it's going to take effort. It's going to require some work. It will probably cost you some pencil lead. So strap on your green visor and get to work. And you might be thinking, man, Brent, I, I don't have time for all of that. The response is, do you have time to worry about your finances? I mean, if you give any time to worrying about your finances, then you have time to give it to the principle of accounting. And there's all kinds of tools online. You can just search. There's software, there's apps. 
Here's what I know. My financial brain is not very complicated, so I have to keep it super simple. Sometimes when I show somebody that's an accounting type person what it is that I'm following, they're like, uh, I'm like, that's all I can handle. So, so just keep it simple. Don't let yourself get overwhelmed. You just try to track these basic things and you can build off it from there. But the Bible tells us, listen, your riches will disappear fast if you don't know the condition of your stocks and your flocks or your herds and your deferreds. So know what your financial status is, your situation, get the facts. Okay, second one is this. Second thing is this. Plan your spending. This is the biblical principle of budgeting. I mean, this just simply means have a strategy for how you're going to spend. This is making the choice up front that you're going to tell your money where it's going to go instead of wondering where it went. And I know that most of us, we lump the word budget with anything that's miserable and unpleasant. Right? Budget. Colonoscopy. Weeding. (laughs) Potty training. Airport security. Budgeting. Like, it's all the same. So, So just change the way you think about it. Just, just change your way you think. Rather than thinking about budgeting, decide you're going to make some goals. Determine some goals. Here's our goal for how we're going to spend. And here's our goal for how we're going to save. And here's our goal for how we're going to give. And again, you can make it really, really complicated. But, but just start in those three major areas. Give yourself three major goals, your spending goals. Hey, what do, we, what do we want to be spending on food? And how much should we be spending on clothing? What's our goal for housing? What's our goal for eating out? What are your spending goals? Then start thinking through your saving goals. Like, what do you need to save for in the immediate future? Our house, we have three things that we're saving for in the immediate future. We've got Christmas. Dave Ramsey likes to point out that it surprises people every year that Christmas happens on December 25th. Like, oh no, we don't have money. So we've got a Christmas savings. We've got a car replacement savings. And we've got a vacation savings. And we just put a little bit of dollars in there every month. What about your long-term savings? Retirement? Whatever. Begin creating some goals. Then what are your goals when it comes to giving? What are your goals when it comes to to being a person that's generous, that that takes out of what God has blessed you with and gives to others and makes other people's lives and other situations better? Goals, way more exciting than budgets, so go with goals. Listen to what it says in Proverbs. It says this. It says, plan carefully and you will have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. It's like this double heads up, right? Like if you act quickly... If you're spontaneous, you'll never have enough. Basically, what it knows is that that if you act quickly, every sale and closeout weekend will be way too good to pass up. That furniture store is going out of business again? They don't know how to manage their money. Let's go help them. Without a plan, do you know what happens without a plan? Without a plan, you and I end up owning things like Chia Pets, Shake weights, snuggies, a potty putter. That's what happens without a plan. Move on, quick. Uh, 
Having a plan helps us avoid impulse buying. And that impulse buying is what what gets us in trouble so quickly. Because we see something and we want it. Instead of planning for it, we just buy it. Here's the amazing thing. God is not down or against you and I having things. He's not against you having nice things. He's not against you taking a nice vacation with your family. He's not against you having a a nice car. Whatever those things are, it's fine. God's just saying, plan for it. Prepare for it. And then because you've planned for it, because you've prepared for it, because you strategize, now when you're spending on those things, it's according to your goals, you'll have plenty. Listen, don't miss out on what I'm saying. If you don't get anything else this morning, this is what I want you to get. Okay? So if you checked out, check back in. Financial freedom. Financial peace. Financial security. Conquering the giant of finances. The biggest point you need to get is this. It is not based on how much you earn. It is entirely based on how much you spend. Now, this next verse is going to offend some people. That's why I made it a fill in the blank, so you actually have to write the word down. Um, Proverbs 21 says this. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Okay, you don't have to write down stupid. I I thought some people might be offended, so I I looked in some other translations and some other versions to try and, like, what might be a softer word. So if you're like, I don't want to write down stupid, go ahead and put down foolish. (laughs) Or stupid fools. I don't care. You can put it on whatever you want. Here's the deal. We all laugh at the kid that earns a couple bucks and then he runs to 7-Eleven and he just spends it all on candy. We're like, ah, he's burning a hole in his pocket. (laughs) The problem is we just get older and we earn more money and now the candy becomes cars and homes and clothes and expensive meals. And at least for the kid, all he's doing is just spending the money he's earned. He doesn't run in there and say, hey, listen, next week I'm for sure going to empty the garbage, so will you give me some Kit Kats based on the dollar my dad's going to give me? And we're like, oh, that's funny. That kid spent all of his money on candy. And then we do the same thing with thousands of dollars. And if we don't have goals, we will spend it all. And if we don't have goals, we won't save. And if we don't have goals, we will not, we will not give. We will not be people that are generous. And in the end, our money will vanish. And quickly our life will become full of anxiety and stress. And there are so many different resources online when it comes to establishing a budget. I mentioned earlier, Dave Ramsey's got this thing called Financial Peace University. Tremendous resource. We actually have a connect group that's starting up, and it's called this. You Need a Budget. I asked the guys, I said, can we change the name of that to you need some goals? <laughs> For anybody that doesn't like budget, we'll change the name. But take advantage. Like if you're thinking, man, I don't know how to do this. There's some people that do. Sign up for the class. And a huge part of this plan, and one of the goals that I just mentioned, leads us to the next principle. The next principle, principle number three, is save for the future. This is the biblical principle of saving. Now, occasionally I've heard people say, listen, you're not trusting God if you save. You should just depend on God and trust that He'll provide in the future. And then I respond in a very biblical way, and I say, <laughs> oh, wow, that's terrible. There's, I don't know how you get that out of the Bible anywhere. 
The reality is that saving for the future is recognizing that God has blessed me today. God has put some resources in my hands today, and he's enabled me with the wisdom to make decisions for my future. I mean, we just read, the Bible said, stupid people spend their money as fast as they get. And if you're offended by that, take it up with God. I didn't write it. Here's what it says in Proverbs 21, too, at the very beginning of that same verse about people spending their money. It says, the wise man saves for the future. Albert Einstein once said that compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. Do you know that if you take $5,000, put it away and invest it at 10% interest, in 45 years you'll have $400,000. That's if you don't touch it again. I did a little calculator yesterday. If you keep adding $5,000 to that over the next 45 years at 10% interest, you'll have about $4.5 million. The crazy thing about compound interest is you don't benefit if you don't get started. And the earlier you get started, the better that it works. So, so it really doesn't matter. Five bucks, 50 bucks, 500 bucks, $5,000. Literally, if you're not doing it, just get started. And saving is not easy. It is not a habit we are very accustomed to in America. Delayed gratification, we don't get it. Do you know that in Japan, the average family saves 25% of their income? In Europe, the average family saves 18% of their income? In America, the average family saves 5% of their income. And saving is not dependent on how much you earn. Savings goes back to the idea about your goals and determining what it is that you will spend. So maybe it means you have to give up a few things. Maybe if you're not saving any money, but you've got cable TV, it might be a problem. And if you can't invest in your future, but you never miss the newest Apple product, it might be a problem. It says the wise individual will give up some perks and some benefits in order to save for the future. And sometimes when we're thinking about saving for the future, we recognize that we're behind. And there's another verse that gives us some caution about how to make up for that. It says this, money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. It's so easy to get caught up in trying to find that, that quick buck. Oh, oh okay, this, this plan will help me generate some money really fast. And there are people, a very small few number of people that have actually figured out how to make a bunch of money in a rapid way. But not many. And there's no guarantee. And anybody that tells you, hey, I know a way we can make some money quickly, it probably involves a gun and a mask. It's just the only way. Oh, sorry. If somebody's just recently told you that and tried to get you into a business, my bad. Um, but the only way to ensure financial stability is little by little, patiently over time. Don't attempt to shortcut it. When we try to shortcut it, we get bit and we lose more often than we win. Two more principles. Next one is this. Return 10% to God. This is the biblical principle of tithing. There are tons of places in the Bible, and we're not even going to dive into them, where we find that God presents this idea of a percentage of 10%. And it's not some random number. I think if we really had time this morning and dug into it, I could prove to you that it's very clear that God's like, 10% should come back to me, and it's considered a tithe. 
And I'll just push even farther. It's not even just any 10%. God's like, it's the first 10%. And the reality is that if you and I wait to give God dollars out of what he's blessed us, if we wait until the end, there won't be much, if anything, left. And here's how I know there won't be much of anything left. The IRS has figured it out. Right? That's why they take our taxes up front. Because the IRS knows, hey, at the end of the month, if you've got money left over and you want to pay your taxes, they'll just send it in. (laughs) They're like, no, you won't. We're just going to take it right off the top. Now, the great thing is God just invites us to do it. In fact, the IRS never says this. God says this. God's like, test me. The IRS just says, do it. God's like, test me. Try me. God's like, if you will trust me, and if you will do this, if you will follow this process, I will open up the windows of heaven, and I will bless you in every way that you need. This is literally a promise to every individual that chooses to trust God with their tithe and give Him their first 10%. And really, that 10% is our opportunity to invite God to be a part of and involved in our situation. Even when our past is messed up financially. Even when the giant of finances has got the best of us previously. Even when our finances are currently killing us in the present moment and we can't sleep. Or worried and concerned about the financial reality of our future. I mean, our finances affect every. They affect our past. They affect our present. They affect our future. And God said, listen, I I have a solution. I have an antidote for all of that issue. It's, It's this tithe thing. Because when you and I take the first 10% and we give it back to God, it begins to affect each of those things, our past, our present, and our future. When we give our first 10%, we're saying, God, I just out of gratitude want to say thank you so much that in the past you allowed me to have the energy and the life and the breath and the intelligence to earn some money. Thank you for giving me that in the past. And then in that process of tithing, we're saying, God, I'm going to present this to you and say, God, you are a priority in my life. And God understood that that somehow this 10% number, this 10% factor was enough to say He is the priority in my life. When I turn that over, and now when we turn over that 10%, we're saying, God, not only are you the priority in this moment, I'm going to make you the priority in my future, and I'm going to trust you that down the way that this 90% that you allow me to continue to take care of, that you're going to bless it so much that it'll ultimately be everything that we need to meet all of our needs. There was an early church leader that said this. He said, on every Lord's day, you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. That's the beauty of the tithe. It's just based on what God's helped you earn. So if you don't earn anything, good deal. I mean, and really, think about it. God could have given us any percentage. (laughs) He was God. So there's times I'm just thankful he didn't say 50%. I mean, what if he would have really flipped it around and said, listen, if you really trust me, if you really trust me, tithe is 90%. 90% of what I help you earn is mine, and then I'll help you live on the remaining 10%. (laughs) I'm like, 10%, sign me up. I mean, think about it. 10% reveals a couple things, though. First, 10% reveals that God doesn't need your money. 
If God needed your money, if church needed your money, if this was all about creating a big shrine or world dominance through financial power, the percentage would have needed to be higher than 10%. Also, the amazing thing about 10%, it's enough that it takes faith. It's enough that it takes some significance to kind of lean into God and say, whew, uh, I see how much 10% is, and I see how much 90% is. God, I'm going to follow you, but you're going to have to help me out here. The last truth about that is the sooner that you start, the easier it becomes. I mean, if you make a dollar, it's not that hard to pass up a dime. If you go paint a friend's fence and they pay you a hundred bucks, like you could go get a Big Mac and a couple things with ten dollars, but you're like, okay, here's ten bucks. You have an amazing sales month. Your company starts issuing bonus checks of ten grand. Writing a check for a thousand bucks can be pretty difficult. If you didn't give the dime when you made a dollar, or the ten dollars when you made a hundred dollars, or a thousand dollars when you made hundred thousand, I don't know. The math's pretty easy. You get it. Here's the deal: we get to choose. We get to determine whether we're going to look at God and say, "I got it. I don't need you to bless me. I don't need you to guide me. I don't need your direction. I think I can make this hundred percent work." We totally can. But then we can't lean on him or expect him or to think he's obligated in any way to provide or bless because he blessed you with 100%, and now you're on your own. Oh, man, that was harder than I meant it to be. I've said before that that Julie and I, and we made some kind of boneheaded decisions early on financially, probably some things that could have destroyed us financially and didn't make life always easier. But all along the way, even though we were doing some things, we were like, oh, that was not a good choice. We tithed. We were giving 10%. Just that was just, we're like, okay, we got other stuff. We don't know how to do this. We're just going to do this. And we just continue. We're going to give 10%. And God always provided. His promise never fell short. He always made sure that we had everything that we needed. Now, along the way, we've managed to start adopting some of these principles. We've been able to avoid some dumb decisions stupid decisions is what the bible just said and our finances have started to get stronger but it's hinged on the fact that we recognize god's promise and because we begin to make those transitions we are no longer banking on one of our kids becoming a movie star or creating some startup company that's going to shock the world like that's no longer the retirement plan i mean they can still do that that'd be helpful but now, here's what we do. At Silver Creek, we try to, try to make this as easy as possible, and so we roll out what's called the Giving Challenge. The Giving Challenge literally comes with a money-back guarantee because we're so convinced that God is going to come through in what He says. So the Giving Challenge basically works this way. Over the next three months, if you've never given to Silver Creek, the challenge is just to give for the first time. doesn't matter how much. doesn't matter how often. Just in the next three months, give one time. And if you've already given one time, then the next step was to choose to just give consistently. Over the next three months, you choose how much, you choose how often, doesn't matter. Just just create some sort of consistency. And if you've already been doing that, then the challenge would be to give systematically. Identify a percentage with the ultimate goal being to reach that 10%. And so maybe you've already been doing that and you've been at like 1% and you're like, okay, God, maybe this is the time we bump it up to 3 or we bump it up to 5 or whatever. Begin to grow in that systematic giving. And then over the next three months, follow that. Maybe you're already at 10%. Then the challenge would be to begin to give 
generously. And beginning to give generously simply means this. If God impresses on your heart to respond to a need, whether it's within the church, within the community, whatever it would be, if God says this one's on you, then you jump at it. And if over the next three months you respond to the giving challenge and God doesn't provide, if your needs are not met, just come and say, hey, it didn't work out. I took your giving challenge. We won't ask for an explanation. We're not going to make you fill out any documents. We'll write you a check. No risk. Last principle is this. Enjoy what you have. This is the biblical principle of contentment. Uh, We happen to live in a culture... Ooh, I am out of time. We live in a culture where we have so much that even the individuals that don't have very much have a lot. And when that's the culture that you live in, we see things that we need way too quickly. And we dream about the next vacation and the next car to buy and the next gadget to acquire and the next jacket to wear and all. And none of that stuff is wrong. And it's not wrong to go and it's not wrong to do and it's not wrong to have. The problem is that when we get distracted by what we want, it reduces our enjoyment of what we already have. book of Ecclesiastes says this. Oh, it's not even in your notes. I think it's just on the screen. It says, it is better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else. Contentment's this incredible thing, this incredible opportunity that's available to us. That's not super complicated. It's just not all that easy. So maybe you need to do a couple things. Maybe you just have to start telling yourself no a couple times. Even if you're just like, no, we're not doing that. Just not doing that. Maybe you begin to find a friend that you say, listen, I'm going to give you permission that when I'm going to buy something, I'm going to tell you about it. And if you don't think I need it, you can just say, hey, you're wasting your money. Maybe you need to attach like a cooling off period. And if there's something that you want to buy, for every $10 that it's worth, you wait an extra hour before you make that purchase. It's like, okay, that thing's worth $200. I'll give myself 20 hours. I'll think this thing through. Or you'd be really crazy to put an hour on every dollar. They'd wait in a while, but you'd probably avoid some things. Finances are a reality of life that we just have to deal with. I mean, we just have to figure it out. Can't hide from it. Can't pretend it doesn't exist. But if we want to prevent our finances from being a giant that creates fear and panic and stress, God provides us some principles that can help us conquer that giant. And every week in your program, we put these green connect cards and just want to challenge you to consider what your next step is. Maybe your next step is to start tracking every dollar that you spend. Maybe you need to create a budget. Sign up for our connect group and help you out with that. Maybe your next step is to develop a savings plan. Maybe your next step is to accept the giving challenge wherever you're at in that process. Maybe your next step is just to spend some time daily thanking God for three of the possessions that you already own. Band's going to come and play one last song. Just encourage you and challenge you again to respond to whatever God is saying. Let's pray. God, this morning, um, we don't like talking about money. And yet you talked about it again and again and again because so oftentimes we get it backwards. And so God, would you help us to be willing to maybe accept some new ideas? put into practice some principles that maybe we've strayed away from. Maybe we already knew all of this, and yet we found ourselves just kind of moving away. God, would you help us to recognize that it is not your desire for us to be beaten down by the giant of finances, but that you've given us some principles that can help us manage this along the way. Thank you for all that you provide for us. Thank you that you give us a path for life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.